Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Scale with Predictable Success, where we get to talk to outstanding leaders who are delivering predictable success in their own organizations. And today I'm delighted to be talking with Befar Jahan Shahi. And Befar is the CEO of an incredible company that I've got to know quite well called Interworks in Oklahoma. And we're going to hear a lot about Interworks shortly. But first of all, welcome to the podcast, Befar. Yeah, thank you, Les. I'm, uh, I'm honored to be here. Uh, I first met you a couple of years ago, no doubt we'll talk a little bit about that. And then I, uh, you were uh, kind enough to extend to me the privilege of coming out to see you and your group. And I've got to know Interworks reasonably well. But on a, sort of an aside conversation we had in a corridor the last time I was out there, you were sharing with me a little bit of your own personal background. You know, if I can uh, be straight about it, Jahan Shah, he's probably not one of Oklahoma's oldest families uh, and yet you've got this incredible presence there. What got you and your family there? And what was your path to starting a, a business in Oklahoma? Yeah, so my, I was born in 1976. I'm, I think that puts me at 43. My, my parents came here in 1972 from Iran to attend uh, university. Their intention was always, I, I think, to come here and then head back home. Uh, and while they were here in the States going to school, uh, there was a revolution back home. And uh, they wanted no part of that, so they ended up staying here. Uh, they, they gave me an Iranian name because they assumed I, we would be going back. And, um, but yeah, I was born and, and raised here in Oklahoma. It definitely confuses people when I call and say, you know, this is Bayfar, and they have to kind of do a double take because um, uh, they're expecting to hear a different kind of voice to go with that name, but they get the OG uh, accent and everything with the strange name. Uh, my, my parents stayed here, uh, grew up here. I, I grew up in Stillwater, started a company here in Stillwater, and by the time and, and ended up going to university. And by the time I graduated, uh, it you know for me it was home. It is home. I uh, sure. love the community, love the small town feel. I get to travel a lot, so I get the best of, uh, I think, every world. Right. Oh, you did get to travel a lot. Uh, it's presumably died down well, a little yeah, bit I, in I, Definitely got to travel once, um, once work really picked up. And so uh, as a family, we took a lot of road trips. But when I, you know, I, I always had this desire to go live in Dallas or San Francisco or New York, but, and I love all those cities, they're great cities, but... Um, I, I, what I found was when I was traveling for work, I really enjoyed coming back home to small town USA. I enjoyed uh -huh. the, the slower pace. And so again, I, I got the best of both worlds. And I think the other thing that was interesting about growing up in Stillwater, Oklahoma is that it, it is a college town and I grew up in student housing. And so, um, the, the demographic of my neighborhood is not necessarily what you'd expect. I mean, my neighbors hmm. were... Jamaican, South Korean, Brazilian. And so growing up, I, I got to learn a lot about other culture, the foods they eat, how the household uh, is run, the differences. And uh, to be honest, I feel like it taught me a lot about um, empathy and learning how different people operate and being, you know, sensitive uh, and more in tune with that than I might have been otherwise. Right. Uh, it's uh, uh, just a remarkable... Um, eye-opener whenever you do realize that, you know, I grew up in Northern Ireland and 
during the 30 years that I was there, there were only two types of people, Protestants or Catholics, and that was it. And the Protestants never met the Catholics, and the Catholics never met the Protestants. And then I went to live in Clapham in London. And it, just as you described your locality, it's exactly what it was like. There's, you know, Rasta's two doors down, Mexicans across the street. And uh, it, it, it was one of the greatest uh, positive shifts in mindset for a boy who had grown up in such a two-dimensional world. But, you know, it sounds like that's been your uh, uh, birthright. And you've stayed there. You weren't tempted to go anywhere else. Obviously, you, uh, as you said, you always felt at home when you came back. Was entrepreneurship also always part of, you know, just something, maybe you didn't give it that word, but did you always imagine you would do your own thing or did you stumble into it? How did that happen? Yeah, I would say I, I definitely, it was a mindset, but I never thought of it in terms of entrepreneurship or running my own business. I mean, even just growing up, I, you know, I, I always had kind of a, a hustle, you know, for a, a lack of a better word. I mean, whether it was baseball cards or I, I remember in elementary school, we used to have these things called happy dollars where they would give everyone money. And you right. had like a month or a week, I don't remember, and, and you could go try and you could buy things from other people with your happy dollars, you could sell things. <laughs> and I went and borrowed a bunch of video games from my friends at that time, video game, you know, everyone's got it on their phone now. Back then, it was a device that would play one game that you get from right. like a Radio Shack or something. And I got a few of those, went out to recess, and I had lines of people and they'd have to give me happy dollars to play the game. And at the end of the, the period of time, I had, you know, just stacks of, of bills of happy dollars. <laughs> but whether it was that or, you know, a paper route or, you know, whatever uh, it may be, I always, I always love this idea of being able to go and delight people and find things they want and, and, uh, and bring great service to go with it. On the, I never had my eyes on, I want to go start a business. Um, right. Uh, and honestly, when I started InnerWorks, it's something I started while I was in uh, at the university. It, it was just a, a fun thing to do on the side. I mean, I had my eyes on, I want to go work for IBM. I want to, at the time, Boeing right. was starting their space station. That was where I wanted to be. And, uh, and so InnerWorks started while I was in college. Um, I, I was great with technology. I grew up with technology. Uh, there weren't a lot of people around me that knew it well. And so a lot, of, um, a lot of people would call me and say, hey, help me with this tech problem I have. And uh, what ended up happening was by the time I graduated college, I thought, why am I, you know, I'd show up in my full suits to go interview with these companies. And I thought, why am I doing this? I mean, I really love these companies, but this doesn't feel like me. Right. And, um, and so InnerWorks was running for four years while I was in college. And, and when I graduated, I, I sort of jokingly say it became my real job. Right. And I thought, this is what I want to do. So that was how long ago when you graduated? So I started the company in 96. I got, so I graduated high school in 94. I started the company in 96 while I was at Oklahoma State getting my bachelor's degree. Right. And then I graduated with my master's in 2000. So we're now 20 years further down the line. Uh, and I, I want to talk about the journey in between there. But, you know, just do the sliding doors before and after thing. Tell us what Interworks is like now. What's, you know, share however comfortable you are in terms of size and scale and what, what you actually do. 
Yeah, so Interworks is a, a tech consulting company. We do your traditional IT services type of work, and we have uh, another side of the business that does data analytics, data visualization, architecture, you know, a, a lot of things with the word data in it. And so uh, our clientele is anything from the small business you've never heard of to Fortune 100s. Uh, our footprint is around, um, around, let's just say, 250 people globally. Uh, we're in the U.S., the U.K., Germany, uh, Australia, Singapore, uh, and we're sprinkled through some other countries uh, across Europe. And um, it, obviously very geographically spread out. We have a, a strong um, a density uh, of presence here in Oklahoma, but uh, in the U.S., it's Portland, you know, D.C., Chicago, um, all over. And and we, you know, revenue-wise, we're probably, let's just say, $80 million across the, the different companies uh, wow. per year. We're a high-growth company. We've been on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest private-growing companies for around 12 years. We've won a lot of awards around best places to work, including an, an Inc. National Award. Uh, we won um, – uh, an award we're very proud of, which is the Forbes Small Giant Award. And mm -hmm. uh, and for those that don't know, this idea of being a small giant means, you know, we, we choose to focus on being great. For us, it's less about size and achieving some uh, headcount or revenue target. It's more about focusing on quality and, and, uh, and who we are as a company. Right. Uh, and that's really what we're all about. So, yeah. Um, I, would talk, I, I want to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment or two. Uh, but before we do, if, if you just take that snapshot by far that you've shared with us, you know, it's a moment in time, it's a slice, a picture of where you are right now. And, you know, go back to your, you know, 20 years ago version of you. Is where you are now uh, uh, sort of gobsmacking, oh my good grief, I never dreamt it would be this. Is it... I'm really frustrated. We could do so much more. Is it, it's pretty much what it, it is. And I love how we got here and I'm comfortable with it. You know, where is it in your, in the expectations arc that you came into this with? Yeah. I, I'll answer that a couple of different ways. I, you know, for me, um, if someone said, is this what is interworks today, what you thought it would be when you started it? Um, not really, but there, there was no upper bound on what it might be. There was a general framework for how we should operate. I, I grew up, I had a lot of friends that were really smart. I knew they were going to go on to do big things. Some of them were in tech, some of them weren't. And I always kind of, you know, when InnerWorks started, I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could get my, my best and brightest buddies together and we could do something together. We could have a common mission and you know what? Who cares where they live? What if they're one's in Chicago and the other one's right. in L.A. and the other one's in New York? And so that that loose framework was there. And, and the idea was if, you know, we deliver incredible service, um, uh, which I feel like in general in the services industry, that's something that's lacking. I feel like that in and of itself would bring people to us. So if we could get the best and brightest and we could deliver a, a high quality uh, service, you know, what, what could come of that? And so that, that always was a general framework. Now, I never imagined that the largest um, shoe companies and search engine companies and CPGs and banks and uh, governments would be calling us saying, hey, we heard about you, come help us. Um, so that one still uh, um, 
blows my mind from time to time. Right. right. Um, and, I, and I would say just in general, I operate uh, with never being satisfied. Like we could always be better. So it's not we want more. It's not that dissatisfaction doesn't come from we need to grow more. We need to go get more. Uh, but there's always this push to go, okay, yeah, we did a great job, but what could we have done better? Right. Uh, and so that that's just always been with me from the beginning. Right. And one of the things that struck me most uh, when I first got to, and uh, I recall uh, first meeting you at one of the Inc. 5000 meetings, uh, and then as I mentioned, uh, I've had the uh, pleasure of meeting uh, pretty much most of your folks either virtually or physically. Um, and you've got a really, really strong culture there and great people. And uh, I would listen to you speak at your annual conference a couple of years ago. And you told a couple of stories about the reality of the cost of being uh, true to the small giants precepts, uh, that growth at all costs is not what is of interest to you. Share a little bit more about where that came from and how it developed. Did you discover the small giants uh, folks and think, oh yeah, that's that, I want that. Or did, were you drawn to them because that's how you were hardwired anyway? How did it develop as a personal approach yeah. to business development? Uh, well, so, you know, for me, I look at my motivation for starting the business. Um, I've always loved tech. Tech has always been a big part of my life. Now today, you know, my, my kids, when they were two, they had an iPad they could play on, right? So it's a little different right. today, but when I grew up, um, everyone didn't have a computer. They didn't have access to technology. If it had blinky lights, I wanted to play with it. And that, that, you know, ended up over the years becoming me accidentally learning how to program at an early age, accidentally learning about computer hardware. And all of this was with the idea of like, I'm going to get to play video games, but I got to learn a lot in the process. And then, um, again, growing up, my friends were calling me saying, I have a problem. Will you help me? And then their parents were calling and so being in tech and helping other people is something that uh, I grew up with. And, and so the motivation for starting the company, what ended up happening was I was, in, I, I was helping my, uh, my buddies and their parents, and I thought, I want to do this for businesses uh, because then I'll get more complicated problems, more complex problems. And, um, and so I approached some of the local computer companies, because back then you had local computer companies, not Dell.com, the Apple store. And I said, I want to service your business customers. You guys are in the business of building computer hardware. Uh, I want to service your business customers. And they said, great, because we have no interest in doing that. And again, uh -huh. my, my primary motivator was I want a challenge, not I want to be rich. I want to be a billionaire. I want to own an island or a plane or a... I was, I just love this and I want to do more of it. It was about mm. craftsmanship. Mm. So that, that was part of the company from uh, early on. And what I tried to do is bring my, my buddies and people I was friends with into it. And it became kind of a, you know, like, wouldn't it be great if it could just feel like we're all just having fun together. And so at the point it became serious and the growth really started accelerating. Uh -huh. um, you know, I had to think a lot about what's important to me. And of course, in any company, money is important, revenue is important, profit's important. I think what's different for, for my mentality is that's not number one on the list. And other companies may pay kind of lip service to 
um, put the customer first, et cetera. But for me, I go, I want to be known for we do amazing work. And so it, it pushes down the priority of revenue or profitability. And as we grew, we, re we realized we, we know how to make things happen. So what's the end game? And at some point, we really had to ask, like, what, what are we trying to do? Do we want to be Accenture? Do we want to have 20,000 consultants around the world? And, right. and to be honest, like, I, I love their model. I love the company, but it's not for me. You know, I don't right. want that. And so I, I thought, I, I, just, I just want to be small, have fun, but I want to do big things. Right. And so that narrative always existed. And then I remember being at the Inc. conference and hearing this um, this um, guy talked by the name of Bo Burlingham. Bo Burlingham, yeah. And uh, and uh, and he wrote a book called Small Giants. And I just sat there in awe, listening to him because you know the irony is at the Ink Conference they celebrate growth, right? And I thought right. I'm surrounded by all these people that <laughs> I, I I perceive that all they care about is growth. And maybe they don't, right? But I just felt I felt like that may have been the case. And right. we're celebrating growth and we're winning awards because of growth. And I'm like, I don't care about growth. Like, I just want to do great work. And so when I heard Bo give his talk, I thought it just resonated very right. strongly. And I thought, oh, I found, I found my place. I have found my people, the people that believe in this kind of right. notion of small giant, like that is Interworks. That's what right. I want. Right. So I'm lucky to stumble into it. <laughs> And that comes across very strongly uh, when interacting uh, with your people. It obviously isn't just you and your senior leadership team. How have you worked to infuse that mindset in your broader organization now that you've got hundreds of people? It's definitely an important concept to us, and we're definitely in a lot of uh, situations that can pull us into uh, a world we don't want to be in. And what I mean by that is that when when you go deliver anything and you do it well, uh, or if you do it well, there's a good chance someone goes, I enjoyed that experience. I would like that experience again. And so what ends up happening is in a lot of the companies we work for, they go, hey, I liked what you did for me. I have 20 other things for you to go do now or I'd like to just get you out here full time, or how do we get five of you out here full time? Right. So it was, it's, it's really important for us to um, make sure everyone understands that's not the goal. The goal is not how do we staff an, an engagement with as many people for as long as possible. Uh, right. Let's focus on um, leveraging our ability and who we are and and let's ha let's have influence at a, at a high level where we can and bring deep expertise in. So. What ended up happening was before we had offered clarity to everyone around this, people would come to me and say, uh, hey, this is fun. You know, what are, what are we trying to do? What's the company's mission here? Right. And I would just say, well, we just want to have fun. Like, let's just go do things. <laughs> let's have fun. And people would say, hey, that's great. I get it. Yeah, I, I want to have fun. But really, what's our mission? You know, uh, what's the vision? What are we trying to accomplish? And I, I really got caught up and I just want to have fun. Like, quit asking me this question. <laughs> and the problem was it, it didn't offer a lot of clarity to people here on what we should be doing and how. And so we ended up coming up with this mantra, very simple mantra of uh, do the best work for the best clients with the best people. And it's something that we reinforce all the time. And, and, and the idea of this is uh, that is a company mission. We don't talk about revenue. We don't talk about target uh, profit. Uh, it is when we go somewhere, let's do, um, let's focus on doing incredible work. 
better than anyone else. When we hire, let's make sure we're very specific about who we hire and we hire the right kinds of people. And beyond anything that what every organization looks for, hardworking, honest, integrity, beyond those, those same attributes we all look for, we want people who are passionate about their craft whatever it is, whether it be marketing or, or data analytics or IT. Um, and we want people who are um, kind, which sounds a little mm. silly to say, but we want people who go out of their way to help other people. Right. Uh, because at the end of the day, that's part of, of deliver, you know, this kind of servant, right. you know, leadership mentality or this idea of giving back. And then best clients. Like we, at some point we realized we can do this to infinity. We can go keep getting more work and go and go and go. And then I'm 90 and I die and you know, the end. And I go, well, why, why, why would we do that? Why wouldn't we, if we know we can go get as much work as we possibly want, why wouldn't we be particular about who we're doing work for and the kind of work we're doing? Mm. And so we have this notion of best clients. Now, best clients doesn't mean that everyone we work for is trying to cure cancer it just means that um, it means we have a healthy relationship. They value our opinion. Uh, they they want to engage with us. They're happy to see us. They're right. not picking at our bills every month. Uh, and so for me, I go as long as those three conditions are true, mm. then I am having fun. Right. That is the mission of the company. Right. So right. it's part of onboarding. It's part of our internal Slack uh, boards that are pinned. Everyone's. Um, um, account and, and we reinforce it every week uh, right. in a subtle way or not so subtle way. Right. And it, it, I, I want to talk in a minute or two about your, uh, how that's impacted your M&A and acquisition approach and philosophy, but uh, just a, a, a hold in for a second or two on the, on the real world challenges that the small giants approach that you've got uh, brings you know, a couple of hundred people. I'm assuming that there could be somewhere, somebody that you've hired, maybe recently doesn't know the company that well. It's a sales person, three, four levels down from direct report to you who didn't quite get it and, you know, ends up stuffing a client with a scope creep inflated proposal or, or whatever, just, you know, something that isn't um, close to uh, does not have affinity with all that you just shared. How do uh, alarm bells go off? What's you know? Are you are you feeling stretched in terms of quality control? Is not the right phrase, but you know what I mean. Just ensuring that at, right at the periphery um, of Interworks, that people are upholding the philosophy that you've just told us about. I'd say in general, we, we stay on track, but um, uh, when we start going real fast, things start um, slipping for sure, and we, ha we have to rebound. Um, in, in general, a very large proposal that would, that would give us a big commit, there's, there's kind of a couple layers of uh, approval they go through, and the people that are part of that are, are um, you know, let's say properly vetted and trained. So they, 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 these are people that believe or support the InnerWorks mission, and so they're signing off on what we're delivering. We right. do get into situations. Um, you know, there's a large social media company we used to do uh, a lot of work for, and when they first called us up and said, "Hey, come help us," 
uh, we were really excited to come in and help. We were helping transform the entire organization, what they're doing, how they're doing it. And at some point it went from really this high level consulting and the kind of work we want to be doing to uh, shifting to staffing. And, um, and they wanted more of us. They wanted more people. They were happy to pay eight hours a day, every day. Um, but we kind of looked around and said, this is not really the work we want to be doing. So great name. Everyone knows the name. But we thought this isn't what we want to be doing. And so to be honest, we had a conversation with them about it. They said they would, you know, put us back on track to the work we wanted. It didn't happen. We had a conversation again. Uh, it didn't happen. And so we went to them and said, listen, like we're, we're putting you on notice. Like we're pulling our team out in nine, in it was 60 or 90 days. So we had a great relationship with them, but we basically said, we're, this isn't for us. Uh, generated revenue. Uh, it was healthy revenue. And again, they would have taken as many of us as, as we would have offered, but it wasn't in line with our mission. Right. Uh, financially, it was great, but uh, mm. the, the other pieces weren't there. So we, we put the brakes on that. So, you know, sometimes we have to to learn and sometimes we get into things we, we realize we don't want to uh, be involved with. So we'll see those to completion and then, you know, move on. Right. And, and finally, in this, is, is a decision like that at that level with that uh, weight of consequence, is that a, you know, go to the mountaintop, long mull for you? Is it a clear, bright line? Don't have to double think, uh, double think it at all. Where does that sit in terms of your own head when you've got to make decisions like that? Yeah, well, well, if we're already engaged and we want to, um, you know, th this may be too hard of a word, right? But if we're going to fire a client or we want to disengage right. from a project we're on, that will, that will generally come uh, to me. And then we almost, we almost do this courtroom style because um, when we talk about firing clients or, or, or getting off a project, right. um, it, it, the motivations may be different. It may be just the particular person on the project doesn't like it. There may be a personality mismatch. And to be honest, sometimes there are things we have done wrong and now the client's un unhappy, so they're not treating us well, but we were the root cause of that. Right. And so the reason we do this almost courtroom style is just to ask the right questions and go, mm. can we get this back on track? And and to be honest, a lot of times when we're unhappy with a situation, the majority of the time we can have a very direct and blunt conversation. Um, and because we're not bluffing about wanting to fix it or, or, or we would, we know we'll walk like it, it, it's just very honest and transparent and, and kind. And, and it, it generally fixes the majority of issues, but there are times when we go, this is just not for us. And we agree as a team to, to walk away. So that's if the engagement's already started, if it's pre-engagement, um, we, you know, we're very fortunate that we have a, an abundance of opportunities coming in. If something doesn't feel right, um, then then we walk away, and that's more at the discretion of the person who's scoping right. and, and architecting the solution. So let's shift focus a little bit. Tell us, uh, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about where M and A and acquisitions have uh, fitted in for you and the growth of Interworks. Yeah. So j just in general, <clears throat> I when I started the company again, it was just to have fun. There was no the exit uh -huh. strategy is um, one day I'll die. You know, that's the exit <laughs> strategy. So uh, so there there's no um, we we get a lot of emails every week from people saying you know we're interested. Some of these are canned. Some of these are very deliberate and they're targeting us. 
Um, and I just have a, a standard responsive, not interested in M&A or capital, or capital, but thanks. And I file it away and keep it all in, in a folder. And, and to be honest, it's very flattering that, that people <laughs> sure. are reaching out. Um, uh, and, and, and in some cases, some very big names, some very reputable names. Uh, you know, for me, I go, I, I love what I do. Um, I, I genuinely enjoy it, right? So, so I like... I, I like spending my time doing work things. I mean, I, I, I think I have a good balance of, of um, uh, family time, spending time with the, the, the family and, and work. But for me, I love work. Like, it's on my yeah. mind. I think about it. Uh, it. It consumes me in a positive way. Right. And so we're not, you know, we're not, we're not trying to optimize EBITDA. We don't have outside shareholders. Um, it's just not something we're interested in. And, and, and we're not really um, interested in growth through acquisition. Uh, for us, we want it to be organic. Uh, it, 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 we, we, you know, we're steadily growing, um, but the growth is a byproduct of, of success rather than a, a destination or a target we're, we're trying to achieve, if that makes sense. Sure. And so I don't, I don't, I mean, we, we might opportunistically consider some sort of, uh, acquisition, but I, I I just don't really see it happening. And is your is the main sort of ick factor or turnoff factor or whatever it may be for you uh, around just getting distracted from doing great work with great clients to all the nuts and bolts of making an acquisition work? Is it um, you know being fearful that you're going to bring in a, a you know a culture that's different from yours and maybe not succeed in integrating it? Or is it something different? What is what is your natural? Like, you know, when you look at that that letter that came in or that email, and you think, "No, I'm not doing that." What what's the core motivation? Do you think? Well, well, I think the core for not selling is just um, um, I, I've been around long enough to see what happens when companies. So, I mean, when you sell, you become yeah, it, yes, selling is I, their company. I, I, I get that entirely in selling, but just in terms of, you know, meeting perhaps an emerging client need, uh, venturing into another channel, uh, rather than selling, uh, what is it about the possibility of doing that that is least attractive to you? Yeah. Um, I think it's just, it's just, uh, when I think about how we've, when I think about the kinds of people we hire here, when it comes to technology, um, I am of the opinion we hire a certain kind of person here where if tomorrow we decide we want to be doing a new technology thing, we will just go learn it and we will get good at it really quickly. So for me, acquisition, you know, we're, we're not a, a capital intense company. I mean, we are our biggest asset and really our only asset are the people. And so the idea of like acquiring 30 people that someone else is, picked or, you know, let's just say that's the size of a company. I go, well, that doesn't make a lot, of, you know, if we want to go into a new market, let's just go into it. Right. And we've, and we've had good luck with this. I mean, we, we were not in Australia two years ago. We are now, and we've really, um, our growth is, uh, it's a great trajectory. We weren't in Singapore or in Singapore, we're seeing a lot of opportunity happen. So, I mean, we, I feel like we have a good handle on, if we want to go, if we want to, if we're in pursuit of something, let's go get it. We're not trying to, we're, we're just not trying to force growth. We're not, we're not, you know, sure. I'd rather do it organically. So there's nothing wrong with acquisition and I'm not knocking it. Again, it's just, it's just not for us. We can do this the organic way. 
And so, as I've noticed you and your interaction with your people, you're very, you're very conscious about shaping interworks. You know, it's it's something you're very engaged in it. I'm very good at it, and you clearly reached out for a, a lot of excellent tools to put in your toolkit. Um, what was it that attracted you to the predictable success model and, and how has it helped you and your organization grow over the last year or two? Well, so similar to, to when I heard the small giants author speak, I mean, I, I think for me, um, and this may seem like a stretch, so bear with me, but again, you know, uh, <laughs> growing up, I, I was surrounded by a lot of different a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different culture. And so I've always been fascinated with why are people the way they are? What makes them act a certain way? Uh, what makes them respond a certain way? Why are they disciplined or not in a certain way? And so the, the and, and both of my parents are sociologists. And so, um, uh, and so kind of the study of people has always been a thing of mine. And um, at Interworks, I feel like we're, we do a fairly, uh, good job of pairing people, understanding who works well with what, what other kind of person. Uh, but I've never really been able to quite articulate it. And sometimes when things didn't work, I, I didn't really understand why. I mean, it was kind of when it worked, it was easy to go, well, of course that works. And when it didn't work, it's easy in hindsight to go, well, of course it didn't work. But I thought there's got to be more to it. Like we, we need a better way to articulate this. So when I accidentally stumbled upon your uh your talk at ink i thought that well that, that's it right there you know i started thinking about as you were describing the different kinds of um people uh you know operators visionaries etc i started thinking well that reminds me of uh so and so in the company and they pair really well with this person and i get how this visionary comes in and really frustrates everyone and i, I started thinking about the complexions of our team as a whole and then within a department and um, and it all really just started clicking. So for us, it's been um, it's been eye opening. And uh, and and we use these we use words like operator and processor every day. I was I was on a marketing call an hour ago before this podcast interview and we're literally describing what kinds of roles we want to hire into the future. And, and the descriptions are accompanied with phrases like we need an operator or we need a processor. Uh, so it, it's been absolutely game changing for us. It's great to hear. I appreciate that before. Let's close off. I'd, like, I'd love to um, have you share a little bit about something that, again, was really striking when I was uh, with you uh, in the before times when you had your physical um, annual meeting uh, last year. It was a pleasure to work with you and your team on a virtual session this year. But when I was there in Oklahoma, one of the things that I noticed really quickly was there almost wasn't a session went by without something then would be interspersed that had something to do with the community that you're part of. So talk a little bit, share with the listeners about giving back and, you know, what where does that come from and what does it mean to you? And, and I'd love you to share some of the, you know, some specific examples of what Interworks does to give back to your local community. Sure, sure. Well, so I'll explain my philosophy and I, I, I haven't done this a lot, so I may not articulate it very well, but I, I grew up in, um, 
you know, in a in a house where my my we didn't have a lot growing up, right? My parents came here for an education. They were working while they were in school, uh, and and I was fortunate enough to have programs and other things out there that I uh, benefited from, that you know, federal programs like National Youth Sports Program, or uh, you know, my mom was involved in working at Head Start growing up, and so I definitely had an appreciation for. Um, it was helpful to have that lift when we needed it, and um, and and I and I benefited from it, right? And I think that uh, when I look at the world today, I go, we we don't all start from the same starting point. I mean, there's some people who have, depending on where you're born, what country, what family, you may have a hundred opportunities in front of you, uh, or you may you may grow up somewhere where you don't even have clean water. And, and it, that doesn't feel right to me. And I feel very privileged to be in the position I'm in. Uh, and, and frankly, I think as InterWorks becomes more powerful and, and, and uh, stronger and um, accumulates more wealth, I go, we need to do something about helping those around us that, that could use that extra lift. Right. So in, prior to this year, it was really just my my wife and I, Stacey, just kind of picking and choosing, you know, the initiatives we're a part of. And I think just given the events of this year, it's just, made, you know, forced this issue. Of, I, I need to think about this a lot more. We need to be more deliberate and really operationalize how we give back. And so um, we we go to everyone here and we we encourage them, especially those that already spend their own time helping a cause and say, we want to support you. If you are passionate enough about a cause where you are, are willing to spend your own time and energy uh, doing uh, a thing, then how can we take this deep expertise that people pay top dollar for and use that to help these organizations? So I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, we have a local food bank and uh, uh, that help people that are, that are food insecure, right? Um, well, they're not in the business of technology, and we are. So if they have a technical need, let's just go give our time to them. And let's go to them and say, hey, from this period of time to this period of time, and it might be a 12-month period, whatever you need, you just tell us we're donating all our time to you. That's one local example. At a, at a more, uh, at a grander scale, um, we're, we're in discussions today with an organization that um, looks at data that um, a lot of the homeless shelters around the country may use uh, to, to analyze who's coming in, why they're coming in. And we realized all of, the, all of these organizations across the country are using the same questionnaires, collecting the same data, and they're trying to solve the same set of problems. Is there a way we can take our expertise help at a national level where this can trickle to all the local organizations. And so we've got a small group of people that works working on that. But what I want to do is take people's passions, whether it be climate change uh, or, uh, you, you know, whatever it may be, and, and go, um, how do we take that passion and turbocharge it? And how do we re help re add some resource to it? And to be honest, like it, um, we're having a great time doing this. I mean, we're going to be doing more and more. And I would imagine over time, what what will end up happening in works is there's a healthy percentage of time we will set aside uh, for each person who wants to go pursue these types of causes. 
uh, to do it as part of you know the, the the company's time. So as we continue to grow in revenue strength numbers, we want to to take that energy and and do something good with it. I mean, it's wonderful. Uh, otherwise, what, what's the point? What's the point of all the the growth if it's uh, just? Um, I mean, I'm not trying to buy like a plane or a yacht. I mean, let's go do something that's practical and helpful, you know, with this sort of thing. Well, I, it's uh, indicative of the natural generosity that you have by far. And uh, I want to thank you for giving of that generosity and coming on the show today and, and sharing so transparently uh, with how you've grown into works. It's a fantastic story and you should be very proud. And I know you are very proud of what you've got. And I hope we can get you to come back a couple of years from now and tell us what the next phase in the growth of Interworks and your own development as an outstanding leader. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Les. Thank you for the opportunity.